in the book of Ephesians, just traveling through the first chapter. And I tell you, it's such a powerful chapter. I have absolutely been broken and weeped so many times just looking at the beautiful name of Jesus that Paul reveals in chapter 1 of Ephesians, which we will finish today. I go much faster than Stuart Rothberg. We will finish today. But Ephesians chapter 1 is about who we are in Jesus, and that phrase in him is powerful. It means that I am related to him, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, who has accomplished only what he could do. He now lives in me, and by faith, I can appropriate the life that's in me. So I can't say, well, I can't do this in my life, or I can't do that. I have all power in me. There's nothing that a resurrected Christ cannot do in your life and in my life. There is no effect of sin that can't be covered by him. There is no sin that cannot be overcome by him because he's all-powerful. And so we trust him today. In Ephesians chapter 1, where I left off last week, I'm picking up. You'll find out that wherever I stop is where I begin the next week. And what beautiful music. Thank you to Misty and Jordan and the team. They work hard. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to serve with them. I'm learning some new songs at 54. This is a good thing for me. It's a good thing for me. So we stopped in verse 20, and I want to talk to you today. Paul's continuing his prayer of taking the truths that he's been sharing in chapter 1 from our head to our heart. He said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, this was last week, might be open to the truth. And you remember in chapter 1, we've traveled through uh, predestination, adoption, uh, we've been redeemed, we've been chosen, we have an inheritance. All these things are in him. And Paul's been talking about that inheritance that we have in him. Then last week he talked about the hope of his calling, the inheritance that God has in us. Not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, but he has an inheritance in us. You see the reciprocal relationship there. And then last week we stopped with, we talked about power at the end. And verse 20 is where we left off, and I just had to stop there, but I'm going to pick up, continuing on from our head to our heart. What is resurrection power? Membership has its privileges. It has its benefits. Some of you don't know the benefit package that you really have in Jesus Christ. It's a benefit package that it would be a good thing if you opened it up and found out all that you have. Because you see, all that God has done for you, he's already done for you and put it in a, if you will, a, a vault, a deposit box, and it's yours. You have access to that. But it can lay there without you ever appropriating it by faith. And Paul says it's about his power. It's about his mighty power. So the benefits are ours because of Christ. Verse 20, here's what the text says. We, we left off last week in 19. It says this, which he worked in Christ, Paul's talking about this, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So he's talking about the power that we have in Jesus Christ, this power that God raised him from the dead. Now, if you think about that, that's resurrection power. That's the power that God has to raise people to life. So when Christ was raised from the dead, you think all the host of hell and you think all the demonic forces and the opposition that was against him didn't want to see that happen? They didn't want to see that happen, but God's all-powerful. God rules over everything. So God, look at this, raised Jesus from the dead. Now let's talk about that. 
Because that's the whole crux of Christianity right there, that Jesus was crucified, that he died, and everybody around Jerusalem said it was over. But Yogi Berra said it ain't over till it's over, because God raised Jesus from the dead, and that resurrection power is now available to us. So when you talk about death, when you have a sacrifice, which Jesus was the sacrifice, you would have to have an altar to place that sacrifice. So for Jesus, the cross was the altar. So they put him on the altar, if you will, which would be the cross, which he himself was going to be the sacrifice. Our high priest was going to be the sacrifice. So you have to have an altar if you're going to have a sacrifice. You have to have an offerer. And number three, you have to have an offering. And Jesus was going to give his life. You see, he was nailed not by nails. He was nailed by sin. He wasn't going to run. See, you look at the scripture and you understand that Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up. Nobody killed Jesus. He willingly went to the cross for you and me. So it's more accurate to say that the Jewish leaders participated in his death, but what happened was Jesus was the altar, he was the offering, and he was the offerer. He gave his life. So one of the things that happened when Jesus died is they would lay him on that cross because the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. So we back up to the crucifixion, and let's take a trip to Calvary. This is Calvary's trip. So they would lay him on the ground, and what they would do with someone who they were crucifying is they would nail the nails in them, and then they would have to lift that cross perpendicular. Now listen carefully. The moment that they lifted that cross, prophecy was fulfilled. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The devil made a big mistake that day because when they lifted him, they raised him. And then what happened, we know that God raised him from the dead. So you have to understand in the text, so Jesus was that offering. He was also the offerer. And so not only did they lift him, but they also said to him, save yourself. If you're the son of God, save yourself. So he had enemies down there. He had people that were uh, putting a spear in his side and out came blood and water, a crown of thorns on his head. And they said, if you're the king, save yourself. Mistake number two, they put an inscription on top of the cross that said, king of the Jews. His enemies pronounced what was already true of him because he was the king before he went to that cross. They just pronounced what God had already said before the foundation of the world that Jesus is the only plan and the only way of salvation and for him to be executed, for him to be a sacrificial lamb on that cross when he was raised on that cross and they put the name king of the Jews, they were just saying what was already true of him. And they should have not just put king of the Jews, they should have put king of kings. Because the text says, God raised him from the, from the dead. This king, Jesus, was destined to rise. He was destined to be elevated. That's why we say around here, Easter's every day. Easter's every day. Because Jesus, it's, Easter's not a day we celebrate, it's a life that we live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God raised him from the dead. Are you glad for that resurrection power? You see, you, you want power in your life today? You, you lack power? You lack focus? 
you lack discipline. Listen, when you get power in your life that's not of you and it's of him, he starts doing things through you that you could never dream about doing. But it's resurrection power. So when Paul says, man, we got to stop here and understand that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that God that raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus now lives in me. And he occupies space in the power of the Holy Spirit in this body of flesh. So I can't say, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Listen to me. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. But I'm a saint who now sometimes sins. But don't identify me as a sinner. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. And he has raised me from the dead in my spiritual life. So now what is true of him, God raised him, is now true of me because I put my faith in him. That's what Paul says here. He said that's the kind of power that we're talking about. Save yourself is what they said. And Jesus, the, the, the inscription was king of the Jews. He's the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And if you want power in your life today, when you trust Jesus as your savior, then Christ comes in. And he doesn't come in just to take a, a place. He comes in to take over every little crick, every little crevice, every little space in your life. He comes in so that he can do his work in your life. And it all happened when Paul says, God raised Jesus from the dead. It's about resurrection power. Not only was it about resurrection power, the unconquerable enemy of death, because when the world says, the world says when you're dead, you're done. That's what the world says, but that's not what God's word says. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So we know we either will spend eternity with God through the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, or we will be separated from him for all of eternity. So it's not when you're dead, you're done. It's when you're dead, the opportunity you have is to either go, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, to go into eternal home, to eternal glory, but you can live in heaven on your way to heaven. You can taste of heaven here, is what Paul says, while you're on your way there because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. So the focus is what Jesus Christ has done. So he conquers death, the unconquerable enemy of death. When is it going to happen to you? You're not promised another day. I'm not promised another day. We never know when the clock is going to stop and we are going to die. So it's okay now to settle the issue that if, when I trust Christ as my Savior, I don't have to fear death. Because Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's far better to go be with the Lord. That's what Paul says. But Paul's trying to talk to us about this mighty power, this great grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. So he's conquered death. But there's a second thing that this raising of the dead talks about in verse 20, and it's the death over sin. It's the power over sin. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so that power that used to control me, Paul has already told us we're enslaved to sin. Not just sin, sins plural. Uh, Polly want a cracker? If you don't get enslaved with this sin, you just go to the next sin because we're enslaved in our sins. And Paul says when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he knocked over that power of death and, he, and he's given us the ability in him to overcome sin. Now watch this. So you don't have the power in your own flesh to overcome any sin. Anybody here, we can talk about that anytime. Because some of you have been trying to stop sinning and quit sinning and stop talking and stop doing and I won't go here and I won't go there and I won't do this and I won't say that and I won't hang with this crowd. How's that working for you? 
Think about this. But through Christ, when God raised Jesus from the dead, our victory is in him. So we don't move to a position of victory. We move from a position of victory. Our victory is in him. So watch this. You never focus on the sin. It's been taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future. So we focus on the one, as the song said, who has overcome sin. When you focus on Jesus, then he's the one that overcomes you and me in our flesh, and then he's the one that overcomes sin. So when I yield to Jesus, then I'm not moving from victory, I'm, I'm, moving, I'm moving to victory, which is a relationship with him. That's what Paul's saying here. So there are no excuses. Jesus Christ broke the power of sin. So now I'm a saint who sometimes sins, but when I sin, I had chosen to go after my flesh and engage my flesh instead of yielding to the one who has all power, who has overcome. So sin is never me overcoming something. Sin is when Jesus overcomes me. And when he overcomes me, then it'll even surprise you and me. We'll say, God, this sin used to have me entrapped. But now you freed me from that because my word, I'm focusing on you. That's just part of verse 20. Notice what the text says. It says here in verse 20, which he worked in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So not only is resurrection power, I mean, that's just enough right there that God raised him from the dead and that resurrection power lives in me. But now God said, wait a minute, I'm going to take this thing even further. I'm going to raise Jesus and elevate him and lift him. Just like when they lifted him on that cross, they were saying, Jesus is the king of kings. The enemies were pronouncing what God said was true about Jesus. And then God says, I lift him, I elevate him, I enthrone him to the highest place. That's what the text says. And he seated him. Notice what the text says seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. At the right hand of God, as the text says. And it says there in verse 21, far above. Jesus is seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. So he has seated him. He has seated him. And there's two time zones here. He says not only is Jesus enthroned here on this earth, not only is Jesus in control and sovereign and God on this earth, and he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, but I have lifted him and I have elevated him and he has seated at the right hand of God because he finished what he said he would do. So if he is seated and in a position of rest, why am I so stressed on this earth? Because I've been seated with him. We'll talk about that last, next week. We're seated with him in the heavenlies. That's what the text says. So we're seated with him far above. Now there's a difference between power and authority. I told you last week that power is the ability to do and authority is the right to use that power. Let me see if I can explain it to you like this because the text says that where Jesus is seated at the right hand, he's far above everybody else. You may say, my boss has a word for me, but your boss doesn't have the last word for you because there's somebody seated far above your boss. You say, I have a thought today, but yeah, your thought is not the last thought because the last thought is from the one who is seated far above. 
Your friend may say, I have a word today, I have a thought today, but they're not the one that has the final call because Jesus has all veto power and he has all kingdom power and he has all authority and dominion and power is in him and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now watch this. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith, by just bowing before him, by just saying, Jesus, save me. Save me, I'm a broken person. When he comes into your life, you can live your life in a position of rest. You don't have to stress. The things that stress you out and stress me out don't bother him at all. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he lives in me. He lives in me. That still blows me away that he lives in me. So the difference between power and authority, because the text says that he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. When you go to a football game, like the one you watched, well, you didn't go, but the one you watched last week, do you know that there's a lot of guys that are out there running really fast? They're really fast, and they're big people. We talked about that last week when I told you I got to go into the Oilers locker room. Cody Carlson, Warren Moon, Bruce Matthews, Sean Jones. Ah, it doesn't get any better than that. But let me tell you something about authority. Authority is the right to use the power that you have. And God says Jesus is seated at the right hand, and he has all power and authority in his hand. So you have all these fast athletes that are out there playing the game. But the referee on the field, who's probably not in as good a shape, has the authority. Because when the yellow flag is thrown, all those fast men stop. And all those really quick guys stop. And the one who has thrown the flag has the right to use the authority. It's not about the power that's on the field. It's not about the power in those bodies that you see from those men. It's about the one who has the authority and the right to throw the flag. And I want you to understand in our lives what maybe is overruling you and what is ruling you is not really overruling you and ruling you because you have someone who's seated at the right hand of God who has the final call on everything. He's the one that has the power to throw the flag. When you think people are ruling, they're not really ruling. God's in control. He's sovereign over all things. And it's amazing if we can understand that God raised Jesus from the dead and then he seated him at the right hand of the Father. And the idea is there's a seat. It's a picture of a seat. It's not a round table where there's people giving instructions because the one who has all instruction is seated in his seat. And that's all you need to know today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation is, I want to tell you that God loves you. He has a plan for you. God raised Jesus from the dead so that you could by faith believe in him and have him as your savior. And he seated him at the right hand of God so that the things that overrule and rule you really don't do that because God is really sovereign and he's really in control. And you can trust him today by faith and live a life that is pure and holy and know that that power lives in you. Jesus is all-powerful. It's one thing to have power, but to give that power to somebody else, God says, I give that power to Jesus Christ. And he is seated at the right hand of God. See, when you uh, get stopped uh, by a policeman who has all authority, you don't exercise power. You yield to that authority. When you see the lights behind you, you yield to that authority. And that's the way it is in our lives. We yield to his authority. 
God wants to take this truth from our head and move it to our heart. Notice what the text says. Not only did God raise him from the dead, not only did God seat Jesus and elevate him and lift him to the highest place and give him the right to use his power, but it says here, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. This is not a political statement, so do not take it as one. Let me wipe before I do. Did you watch the State of the Union address? Did you see all those people that thought they had power? Oh, I said, I I just kind of, listen, this is not political. I'm just telling you the truth. I watched people who thought they had power. They would stand and say, I've got power. They would sit and say, I have power. They would frown. They would smile. They would be all over the place. It looked like a business meeting of a church that had a lot of disunity to me. But here's what I want you to know. All of those people who were doing all of those things, and I understand they are elected into power, but nobody elected Jesus into power, and he has no term limits on his ruling and reigning. He rules forever and forever and forever. This age, this age, and the age to come. But I thought those people are just puppets in the hands of God is so sovereign. Whatever he allows them to do, they can do. If he says stop, he's got the power to stop that. He has the right to use his authority. I think God probably was just going, and that is very interesting. (laughs) You know, in Psalm 2, the enemies came against God. The nations raged and they came against God. And you know what the Bible says in Psalm 2? God laughs. Let me tell you something. When God laughs, it's not funny. It's not funny because he rules and reigns, and there's a paycheck for sin. But I want you to know it's what the text says. All things are under his feet. They're all under his feet. You know, the enemies may be squirming today. The people may be squirming. It may look like certain people are in charge, but God says they're under his feet. He's in control. He's sovereign, and that's why you can sleep at night and you can rest at night because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, and he's true to his word. And the state of the union is this. God loves you, and God has a plan for you. And if you'll just yield to his son Jesus and repent of your sins, the state of the union address for you is have a good eternity because you'll be, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. When the, when the pull of the cord happens in your life or my life, and we lay hold of him, we have the inheritance of Christ here, but when we lay hold of him in his inheritance, it's a, God says, I'll be with you for all of eternity. The state of the union is very bright. Listen, the future for this church and for individuals who find themselves in Jesus Christ, the future is so bright, I got to wear shades. That's how, that's how bright it is. It's really that bright for you. Whatever you're facing today, whatever darkness you fear today, listen, God has overcome through Jesus Christ. And verse 22 says, all things are under his feet. They're all under his feet. He's got everything under control. Rest, chill, love him out of love for all that he has done. And then here's the last thing that he talks about here. Not only are all things under his feet, but the text says, and he gave him, Jesus, God gave him to be head over all things to the church. Oh, this is beautiful. And he gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church. The head would be the one that's in control. The head would be the one that's in charge. And so Jesus Christ, if you're visiting today, so you know this, is the head of this church. 
He's in charge of this church. No man controls this church. No committee controls this church. There are no power plays in this church because this church doesn't belong to the people. It belongs to the head. And the head is Jesus Christ. And so if we understand that, when we understand that he's the head, we stop playing the spiritual games. And we say, we just want to yield to the head. And listen, God is good. He's, there's, there's not disunity here. There's not dysfunction here like you will see in a lot of churches in America with business meetings. Because we have acknowledged from the beginning, and our pastor of 53 years has always said, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And it, he's read the Bible, and he's exactly right. And God has used him. Because one of our uh, core values here that we talked about in staff meeting this week was that we're debt-free. If you didn't know that, we're debt-free here. We owe no man anything. And Wes Holloman was leading the staff meeting, and he asked Brother John, he said, Brother John, explain to us how this came about in 1975. It was 1975 when our pastor felt led to lead this church out of debt. And Brother John shared how he, went, he didn't go to a Union Baptist Association meeting, so First of all, when you don't go to a meeting, you get elected as the chairman of a committee that a meeting that you didn't attend. So that was number one. So our pastor was able to go uh, be the uh, moderator for the uh, association and noticed that the churches were like, all the Union Baptist Association churches were like $3.3 million they were paying to interest and giving about 2.2 or 2.1 to missions. And then Brother John shared with us that um, he began reading out of Deuteronomy that you shouldn't borrow money, that you're a slave to the lender. And so with those two things together, he led God's church to get out of debt through an obedient man hearing from God because he wanted this church to be debt-free. But Brother John said this in the, in the, in the, in the meeting. He said this is not, the Sagemont story, which you get a DVD. If you come to the hospitality room, you'll get one, or you may know about the Sagemont story about being debt-free. But he said, it's not the Sagemont story, and it's not your story, it's God's story. It's God's story. This is God's church. It's always been God's church, and this is God's story. God's taking people like you and me, just surrendering to him, just yielding to him, just loving him and saying, God, we can't do this work. This is your church. We just want to be a part of the body of Christ. We're not the bodies of Christ running around. We're the body. We are members of one body. He is the head of the church. And so God gets all the glory for his church. It is his church. How many churches are falling apart because it's the people's church? or it's the pastor's church. When Jesus was seated at the right hand of God, he didn't say to the pastors, now finish the work that I have called. He said, you just be faithful to me because it's my work. I'll give the instructions. I'm the head of the church. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying he is the head, look at this, over all things to the church. The church, the body of Christ. Then verse 23 says, which is his body, look at the text, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ fills us. And God gave to Jesus to be the head over that which is full. So the church is full. The fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. And the fullness of God is in me. God is in me. Therefore, the fullness is in me. 
And if the fullness is in me, and I've trusted Christ as my Savior, then the fullness is in you. So the fullness is all in all. When we are all filled with the fullness that comes from Him and not ourselves, then the body of Christ, the church, begins to function because it's about being full in Him. And when we're full in Him, He begins to reach and extend His love to other people to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And He is full, so I don't lack anything. There's no leaks in me because He lives in me. And so the fullness of Him, who is... God is in us in the church, and we fill all in all because Christ lives in us. Paul says that's the body of Christ. That's the church. That's who we are. So we all have gifts, right? When you come into the body of Christ, God gives you gifts and gives me gifts. But we never focus on our gifts, My gift, one of my gifts is teaching. Another gift I have is encouragement. I never go around saying, I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher, I'm an encourager, I'm an encourager. I just yield to God and let God flow his gift through me. And watch this. You have gifts that you've been given by the head. And the head wants to flow his gifts through you. So we have the fullness, which is him, and the fullness of God is in me. Therefore, the gifts of God are in me. And those gifts are used not to glorify me or you. They're used to glorify him. So we focus on the giver of the gifts and we don't have to tell anybody what our gifts are because they're in him he's the head he is all in all and he fills all in all it's like an Alka-Seltzer let me go old school when you have heartburn you drop that Alka-Seltzer in that water and it fills it permeates every part of that water And that's the way it is with Christ. When Christ comes into your heart, he fills you to the fullness of who he is. And then you begin to expand the reach of his love as you yield to him and as you trust him. The text says the fullness is in him, verse 23, who fills all in all. So Paul's talking about power. Let me see if I can close with this. Years ago, I had a flip phone and it took me about a year to get rid of that flip phone because it was smaller and I liked that flip phone. It would open up and I could flap it down and I could put it in my pocket. You wouldn't even know it was there. Now, now, now this is called a iPhone or a smartphone. And so what I found out is there are some things that my flip phone didn't do that this would do, but it took me a year to understand the benefits. I took a class called uh, iPhone for Dummies. And I found out my flip phone, when I get on my flip phone, I couldn't get on the internet. But, but, but with the iPhone, I could get on the internet. I could check email on this flip phone, I mean on this iPhone. I couldn't do that on my flip phone. I could even put in your directions to your house and it would say starting route and it could never do that on my flip phone. But it did it on the iPhone. I can, I can do computer work on my iPhone. I can, uh, I can download apps. I can do all kinds of things. This thing is like majestic, if you will. But I had no idea, and I really had a hard time moving from a flip phone to an iPhone. And I was always running out of battery juice on my flip phone. And so I finally had my iPhone, and I was on the starting route to go into somebody's house a long time ago, first time I had used it. My wife bought me a charger, and I put it in the trunk. And so I'm driving along, and I'm going... uh, it's telling me where to take a left here. I call her Sally. You may call her Alexandria, whoever it is, but she's giving us directions. And all of a sudden, this thing went dead. I'm driving the car, and it went dead. I went like this. I went like this. I punched everything. 
there was nothing available. So I decided I would go into the trunk and put the power cord in and begin to charge it. And I thought immediately, as soon as I put the plug in, I thought the phone would be charged, but that's not accurate either. It took about five minutes for this thing to fire back up. Here's the point I want to tell you. The whole time that my car was running, it had power. The lights were on. This is what went dead. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. In Jesus Christ, because of what God has done by raising him to the, from the dead, by seating him at the right hand of, the God, of God, by filling him to the fullness of all that he is, you have a power available to you, and some of us need to stop on the side of the road, and we need to hook the battery in because the power is still there, but the battery's run down, and we need to get connected again to his power. You want power in your marriage? then get connected to him. Let him fill you all in all in your marriage. You need power on your job? Pull over to the side of the road and say, I need to hook into the power source because Jesus Christ is the power source. If you need to trust Jesus as your Savior and you've never done that, you need to pull over today, go into our Connection Center, which is right down these aisles here, past these exit sides, turn inward and say, I want to have God's power in me today. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Paul says, he fills all in all. Isn't this encouraging? Chapter 1 is just an explosion of fireworks that we'll never get over for the rest of our lives. If you're here today and you need to trust Jesus, you just receive him by faith. God raised him from the dead because God loves you. And it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for you. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And if you could connect with him today, and you can, if you'll trust by faith that he has paid for you, your sins on the cross of Calvary, you can trust him and you can be plugged into the power source today. And you can walk out of here different than when you came. Maybe you'd like to join this church. Maybe you have a prayer need. Just go to the Connection Center. Say, hey, I need to know about God's power in this situation in my life. This is God's church. We're God's people, and he's given us an opportunity to take the truths from our head all the way to our heart. God does a lot of heart work. Would you bow your head and pray with me this morning as we close? As the band comes and plays, I don't know where you are today in your walk, but as I look at this text and I think about what Paul is saying, it's a beautiful thing to know resurrection power in your life. Some of you this morning are here and you're depressed, you're anxious, you're frustrated, maybe you're even bitter towards someone in this room. Maybe you're bitter toward a boss. Maybe you're bitter toward a circumstance or a situation. I want you to know that God wants to turn your life around and point you to Jesus Christ today who has the fullness in him. It's in him. And by faith, if you will trust Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't mean your situation's going to turn around, but it does mean you'll move from death in sin to life in him. And that's the only turnaround you really need. When you know someone is with you and is facing whatever circumstance you're facing that he lives in you, you can today receive the free gift of salvation.
Christ can fill your heart today. He can fill your life with the beautiful name that we sang about earlier. If you'll just by faith say a prayer like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you the best way I know how to save me from my sin. God, I repent of my ways. And I know that I have missed the mark. And I know that I'm trying to do things in my own power. But I exchange my power for your power today. And I want you to come and live in my life so that I will never be the same. You can be set free today. God's power through Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life, your work, your home life, because Jesus resurrected from the grave. And when he resurrected from the grave by today, by you putting your faith in him, then you also resurrected from your grave of sin and forever will belong to him. Settle the issue today. Trust him. He loves you. For those of you that have already trusted Jesus as your Savior, would you pull off to the side of the road today? For some of you, you you just don't have that power. I mean, you have the power. You just haven't gone to the vault and appropriated that which God has already given you through Jesus. You just need to plug into the power source. You need to just say, God, I want your power in my life. I want the same power I sense in Sunday morning to be Monday morning when I walk in the office. And God says, I'll fill you all in all. I will do the work in you that you can't do for yourself. And maybe today as a believer, you just need to pull over, plug into him, and say, God, I'm yours afresh and anew. Fill me afresh and anew with your spirit. I trust you today. God, we just together as a body of Christ today want to say that we love you. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, in our church. Thank you for the fact that we are even here today and we have breath in our lungs to worship you and to adore you. Thank you for our families. Thank you for the extended body of Christ, the family that we have here. Thank you for those that we're going to reach through missions and ministry. We give you all the praise, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.